0: So, where are we in God's Word as we study? Anybody know? Acts chapter 9. All right. We, we may finish up Acts chapter 9 today. We may not. But the, the, the series uh, this morning, the, the, uh, the, the name of the, the, the title, I guess, not the series, the title here is called Heroes. And as we think about the book of Acts, we can think about some of the heroes who we've already met so far we've we've met peter you know we've met james we've met john we've seen the miracles that god has done uh through them and for them so that the church is continuing to grow and spread on the earth uh we've seen uh just the the, the conversion of what is now the apostle paul to us but he was saul and we see the greatness of god to bring him into the kingdom and to help him to be converted so that he can be used mightily in the kingdom. And so we've seen some of the heroes, and today we're going to continue on in that. So I'm going to read for you where we left off last week, which was Acts chapter 31. I'm going to start there and then read through the end of the chapter. So if you could turn in your Bibles to page 1088 in the blue in the blue pew Bible if you have it, or Acts chapter 9 verse 31, I'll read our passage this morning. Then the church throughout Judea And Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydia. There he found a man named Ananias, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. And Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Remind you of anybody? Remind you of any miracles? Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Ananias got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. God is using the miracles of Jesus through the Jesus people to bring attention to Jesus and to bring people to salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have that little story there in those couple of verses. And then in another town, this is, this town is called Joppa. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, which when translated is Dorcas. We're going to call her Tabitha because the other name's hard. Uh, who was always doing good and helping the poor. She was, that, that was her thing, right? About that time, she became sick and she died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydia was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Sound familiar? Do you remember Lazarus? Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter then sent them all out of the room. And then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet and then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive this became known all over joppa and many people believed in the lord peter stayed in joppa for some time with a tanner named simon these miracles are almost exact replicas of the miracles that jesus did when jesus was ministering During his three years of earthly ministry. This is exciting because what it shows us is that God's people are carrying on the ministry of Jesus. They're doing what Jesus did. They're continuing on in the process of helping people to see God. Even through the miracles that God is able to do. I love that Peter says Jesus Christ heals you. Because it gets the attention off of Peter and on to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is continuing to work and manifest himself through his people so that the church grows and the message of the gospel continues to be spread. Remember, Peter's just a common fisherman. Sometimes we make these Bible heroes out to be something bigger than they really were. Peter was a fisherman. In fact, when he first began to preach... And the Pharisees and the Sadducees heard him. They said, these are just common fishermen. Like, how do they know all this stuff? How are they able to do this? We know it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of Jesus, using them as vessels for Jesus so that the ministry of the church continues to be the ministry of Christ. These two miracles are so similar to the miracles of Jesus. It's, it's striking. And I think it's purposely recorded for us that way, so we don't miss it. If you know the miracles of Jesus, you're now seeing the miracles of Jesus being done through Jesus' people, through the church. So here's the point. God's Word teaches us that the church is supposed to continue on in the ministry of Jesus. I'll say that again. God's Word teaches us That the church is supposed to carry on in the ministry of Jesus. Continue on doing what Jesus has done. For we are his body. We say that all the time. We are the body of Christ. We are his body. So his body should be doing what the head, what Christ wants us to do. And what Christ wants to do on the earth. Both the healing of the lame man and the raising of Tabitha from the dead. Show us that the work of Jesus is continuing to go on in his church. And this is the type of evidence that makes me know that I know that I know that the Holy Spirit didn't end in the first century church. For all throughout Christian history, God has continued to do miracles. He has continued to to reach into people's lives and do the impossible. You may be one of his miracles. He may have done something impossible for you, and you are to testify to that. You're to be a witness to that. This is something that we need to remember. And as Holden Chapel members, as those who have joined themselves to this church and become members of this church, we believe that God still works in the world through his people. And that he's given us the Holy Spirit and gifts from the Holy Spirit so that we can do what is vital to the mission of the church, that we can help people to find Jesus. In the midst of their destruction, in the midst of their difficulty, in the midst of their sickness, in the midst of their marriage falling apart, in the midst of their addiction, if they find Jesus, he will rescue them. He will help them. He will bring them through. He will never leave them or forsake them. In fact, we have as doctrine number nine in our bylaws, and I have this on the slides if we still have the slides here. This is the doctrine. It has to take up three slides because it's a nice big long one, but it's, it's, it's juicy. It's like a good juicy piece of steak. So let's chew on it for a minute. This is doctrine number nine for us at Holden Chapel. You may not be a member of Holden Chapel. You may not know this, but this is why we pray. This is why we seek God. This is why we anoint for anoint for healing those who need uh, healing from sicknesses, because we believe that the Holy Spirit still empowers believers today to obey the commandments of Jesus and to be his witnesses in the world. For the edification of the church... Now, remember, we looked at edification last week. The building up of, the strengthening. It's in verse 31. The strengthening and encouragement of the church. The Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts as he determines. So we don't get to have what we want. He gives us what he knows we need. We believe the scripture teaches us that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in the church in the first century are still available today. There are teachings that would tell you otherwise. We don't believe that here. We stand in opposition to that teaching. These are vital for the mission of the church on the earth. And they are earnestly to be desired and practiced in love, in humility, and in order. In other words, according to the authority structure, the way in which God has put the church together to do the ministry that it has, not in chaos, in order in accordance with the instructions given to us in Scripture. And the Scriptures are are in John 14 and 16 and in Romans 8 and in 1 Corinthians 12 and 2 Corinthians 3.6. This is one of our doctrinal beliefs. If you join yourself to be a member of Holden Chapel, you're joining yourself into that amazing thing. You believe in miracles. You believe that God still can do miracles through his people and that he does them for the same reason he always did them to glorify Jesus, to help people to know that Jesus is God. He's the God of the universe. He's the God that we need in our lives. So because we believe this, I'd like to talk today about everyday heroes. Everyday heroes. People who believe this type of thing can be everyday heroes. You know, we all love superheroes, there seems to be no end lately in the entertainment in the entertainment industry to superheroes. I have a list here. I went online. I'm like, how many superheroes are there because every time I turn around, there's a new movie or a new show or new, with another superhero. And there's uh, on this list there's 46 superheroes so far. Right? There's Ant-Man, and there's Aquaman, and there's the Avengers, all of them. And then there's Batgirl, and there's Batman, and there's Batwoman, and then there's Black Panther, and then there's Captain America, and then there's Captain Marvel, and there's Catwoman, and there's Green Arrow, and then not to be confused with Green Lantern. And then there's the Incredible Hulk, and there's Iron Man, and I'm not gonna read all of them, don't worry, but there's Spider-Man, and Superman, and Supergirl. I didn't know there was a Supergirl, but I guess there is. Along with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, oh, she's, she was a nice one when I was a young boy. <laughs> Wonder Woman. Anyway, I guess they brought her back. I mean, I only know the old one, right? Anyway, there's all these superheroes. Our imaginations seem to have no limit to how we can dream up these superpowers and these super things that can be done by these superheroes. But... Let's get back to reality. We're frequently fascinated by stories of heroes, even superheroes, but even real-life heroes. Think about the rescue workers, the firemen, the policemen, the soldiers. They are heroes in real life. They're not a part of our imagination. They do things according to the definition of a hero. Which is, a hero is one that shows great courage, and they are admired for their achievements and their noble qualities. They are the object of extreme admiration and even devotion. People will devote themselves to a hero. So, of course, we have some real-life, everyday heroes. But for us as believers, those who, who cherish the word of God as God's word for us, we know the Bible is full of heroes, right? Let's just take a moment. I want to I get the first five heroes that you think of of the Bible. Let's hear Anybody? Joseph, Moses, David, who, Mary, and Esther. All right, we've got some girls in there. Good, good, good. So those are the first five, but we could go on and on, right? We we included Joseph. He endured slavery and imprisonment, but then he saved the nation and that region of the world from famine. You included Moses because he rescued God's people from 400 years of slavery. He stood up against the power of Pharaoh. He didn't include Joseph or uh, Joshua or Caleb. Joshua and Caleb had the faith that nobody else had to go into the Promised Land and to bring to bring the people across into God's promise. There was David who faced the giant. We know that. There's Elijah. There's Paul who's preaching in the face of opposition throughout the New Testament, imprisonment, and in being you know stoned. He was stoned. He was he was whipped. He was ridiculed. He was put in prison. He was eventually martyred. He's one of our New Testament heroes. There's Daniel in the lion's den. Did we mention Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den? He stood strong. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who faced the fiery furnace. These are our heroes. And we can learn a lot from these heroes. Things like the determination to do God's will no matter what. Even when pressured by society all around us. This is illustrated vividly when Daniel goes to the lion's den, or when Shadrach and Meshach stood in the fiery furnace. They had absolute trust in God. We see this when David goes forward and attacks Goliath with just a little sling and a couple of little rocks, right? We see the spirit of evangelism leading the apostles like the apostle Paul and Peter, like in our passage today. And the early church that continued on in spite of the threats, in spite of the beatings, in, th- in spite of the jail time, they kept going. They did not stop. These are our Bible heroes. But I want to tell you that there's, there's a problem if we draw all of our inspiration just from these great names, these great heroes in the Bible. Here's the problem. They're heroics often took place in extraordinary circumstances. In fact, another popular definition for hero says it's an ordinary person facing extraordinary circumstances and acting with the courage, honor, and self-sacrifice that makes them a hero. But let's think about everyday heroes. You and I. You and I may never be in extraordinary situations. We may never find ourselves faced with a fiery furnace, or sold into slavery, or tasked with leading a million people out of slavery, or even being threatened by powerful religious leaders or an angry mob. So we are in danger of putting our ministry on hold, of thinking it's too small to bring to God. It's not big enough. We're in danger of waiting. Waiting for some extraordinary circumstance to come along so we can be heroes. But I believe that when we do that, we are missing out on much of what we should be doing in our everyday life. On being heroes. All over the earth. See, today, I want us to look at the heroes in the Bible that were not on the list that we made a few minutes ago. In some cases, the heroes in the Bible that I want to talk about, they don't even have names. They're not even named as heroes in the Bible. And their heroic deeds are mentioned in maybe just a verse or two. Let's call them the everyday heroes. Everyday heroes, because their heroics are found in the context of everyday lives. These men and these women, even though they are not in extraordinary circumstances, they still fit the definition for heroes because they also should be admired for their achievements and their noble qualities. And they point people to Christ. So I want to challenge you to take them into your hearts as we look at a couple of them this morning. Because they are people, ordinary people just like you and me, everyday people, but we should admire them. We should learn from them. Our passage in Acts 9 points us to an everyday hero. Her name is Tabitha. I have a hard time with Dorcas, I think because I'm a child of like the 80s, 70s, 80s, and we used to call people dorks. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a positive thing. So I like Tabitha. There's no in my mind. There's no negative connotation by calling her Tabitha. And I'm not Greek anyway, so let's call her Tabitha. Tabitha, who was introduced to us in our passage this morning in Acts chapter nine, verse thirty-six, she is a woman disciple, and we are told about the aftermath of her death. She's already died. All right, Luke, the author of Acts. He uses a very unusual literary term. We don't see it here in the English translation, which is often the case. But if you go back to the Greek, the original language, which Luke was writing in, there's a word that he uses that's only used once in the whole New Testament. And it's a word that means woman disciple. To put it together, woman disciple. A disciple who's a woman. Now, I make a point of that because I want you to realize it's in God's Word. There was a very patriarchal system in place, as we know, from the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. In these cultures, in the culture of the Bible, where often it's male-dominated. We hear about a lot of men. We hear some women. We mentioned Esther. You know, earlier with one of our heroes, but but she's a woman disciple. And Luke, who is a physician, who is an exacting uh, kind of writer, he writes inspired by the Spirit, and he uses this word, Tabitha, a woman disciple, to make a point. That term is never used again, and it wasn't used before that. It makes a point because sometimes we want to, we want to use the gender thing to kind of say, well, you know, the women, they have to be submittive over here. They have to only do these types of things. I love the fact that she's a woman disciple and you should too. It's very significant that she's mentioned that way. She wasn't a preacher. She wasn't a miracle worker. She wasn't a worship leader in her church. She wasn't even a traveling evangelist, but she was known to all As one who was full of good works and charitable deeds, it says. She was known to all, particularly for the garments that she made for other people. Now we have clothes, so many clothes. When you go to get out your fall clothes or you go into your closet and you say, oh, it's time for fall, you have a whole other wardrobe, right? And then when you get in the winter, you got another wardrobe. And then you come to spring, you got another wardrobe. And then in the summer, you got a tinier wardrobe, but it's still a wardrobe, right? So you got all these wardrobes. This is not the way it always was in the history of the world. There was a time when it was very difficult for those in poverty. To be clothed. So we hear about it a lot in scripture. We also hear a lot about widows. We've heard about them already early in the book of Acts. The widows were in the worst case scenario, right? They were having a really hard time making it. These are the people that Tabitha was the hero for. And that is why when she passed away, they were heartbroken. They were heartbroken because of the love that she showed them, the, the generosity she showed towards them, the attention she showed to them. She was their hero. Now, I'm sure she didn't think that making a tunic or a robe made her qualified to be a hero. She was humble, I'm sure. I'm sure she didn't think that that somehow she was going uh, to be mourned so much that God, in his compassion, would send one of his disciples to bring her back from the dead. There's no way she had that thought in her mind. But that is exactly what our father did. He saw the community around her that was devastated by that loss, and he thought, I will glorify Jesus through this. I will bring this wonderful woman back to them for a bit. She didn't live forever, but for a bit. Just like Lazarus. She was a hero, not only to the the people that she ministered to, but I think even in God's eyes, she was a hero. So here's the thing. She was a hero because she saw people and she did something about their suffering. She encouraged them. She showed them that they were valued by God and valued by her valued enough for her to take the time and the energy and the resources to do something for them, to show kindness to them, to do a good deed for them. And I'm sure it wasn't always easy and convenient for her to provide for others, but she did it anyway. She made a sacrifice of her time. She made a sacrifice of her energy and even her finances to be able to afford the material to help to encourage others even when it would have been much easier, I'm sure, for her to make herself more comfortable in life, to use those resources on herself. This is why she's a hero. Tabitha shows us that we don't have to wait for some extraordinary crisis or some moment of need in order to be a hero in someone's life. So if we wait for that, we'll miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share Jesus through doing good in people's lives. See, simply by being willing to sacrifice a bit of our time and suffer a bit of an inconvenience, we can be a person who has heroic love and care for others who desperately need it right now. After all, unselfishness is the very essence of heroism. I'll say that again. Unselfishness is the essence of heroism. Think about all the heroes in all of the situations, whether real life or even the imaginary ones, they sacrifice greatly to help others. And so unselfishness is one of those things that makes someone a hero and an everyday hero. Listen to the words from Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we were in fact created by God for the very purpose of doing good works. This is your purpose in existence. To do good works. To do good works for others. So the question is, are we fulfilling that purpose or are we waiting for some other greater purpose? This is the purpose that God gave us. Are you waiting for someone else to give you another purpose? Because you already have one. You need to walk in that. You need to embrace that. You need to, to love loving others with that kind of love. In John 13, verse 35, it tells us that one of the prime ways in which the world will actually recognize that we are disciples of Jesus Christ is from the love that we display towards other people. We often think it's got to be a big evangelistic event. It's got to be a revival. It's got to be, you know, lights and sound and cameras and action, right? But God's word says the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone can do that. Everyone can be part of that event every day. This is the challenge for us that we see God bringing to us through Tabitha, right? Is the world getting that message as they observe how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, and even how we spend our finances? Are they getting that message? If not, I think we need to pause right here and pray and ask God to inspire us and to change us. That we would do more loving kindness towards others. That we would step in and be a hero in someone's life. And yes, it will take a sacrifice of time or energy. But every one of us has the ability to be a tab or a Tabitha in someone's life today. Let's pray. God, you were able to help us fulfill our purpose. Our purpose in this world, Lord, as you say, is created to do good works. Forgive us when we sometimes pass right by. We don't even consider the good work that you put before us. Open our eyes, open our hearts the desire to glorify Jesus by living in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, lest you think the service is over, it is not. I like to pause and pray in the middle of things because sometimes at the end we rush or sometimes at the end we don't take the time to do it. So let's acknowledge that God is here with us and then we talk to him. I want to talk about some other everyday heroes. Just one passage in God's Word. But it's actually in the Old Testament. And it's important for us because there's no names involved. It's in the book of Kings. If you want to turn to the book of Kings, if you're using the Blue Bible, I'll give you the page number. It's 351. But in the book of Kings, well, let's first, David... Thank you for asking. 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to look at the 7,000 unnamed heroes. We don't get any other names. And there's 7,000 of them. I love this because it's a bigger number, right? Not just Tabitha. This doesn't just apply to one person on the earth. The 7,000 unnamed I'm going to read just a little bit of the passage for you. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. In other words, she threatened to kill him. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. All right, go to verse verse 9. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love that. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with a sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Will you repeat that with me? I'm the only one left. One, two, three. I'm the only one left. Have you ever felt that way? As a believer? you, You look around and you're just like, What? Everyone is abandoning the faith. I'm the only one in my family. I'm the only one in my school. I'm the only one at my workplace. I'm the only one left. So Elijah was feeling bad for himself. Look at verse 18. God spoke to him in this long message back. And he says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to the Baal. And all whose mouths have not kissed him. Baal is the false prophet, the the false idol. I have reserved 7,000. Which Elijah obviously had overlooked or didn't know about, right? So when this godly man was forced to flee from the government that was going to destroy his life. When society had turned from God as far as he was concerned and was worshiping false idols. When one person who was trying to uphold godliness was made to feel utterly alone, 7,000 heroes of the faith showed up. And they had the courage to refuse to bow to the pressure of the society that they lived in. You see, the faith and the courage of those heroes kept God's words alive in their generation for the next generation. But they're completely nameless. We don't know who they are. But God knows who they are. God knows they're keeping their hearts pure for him. They're not becoming like the society around them. They're not giving in. They're not bowing their knee to all the pressure. They're standing firm, even though they're quiet about it. They're not Elijah. They're not up there in the in the politicians' faces. They're quiet about it. They're holding their faith strong. I wonder how different was their world from ours today? When we consider the nature of the society in which we live now, how many of our communities are really interested in joining us in church here today? We are the ones who must, like those 7,000, keep the faith alive for the next generation. We cannot bow. We have to be heroes for the next generation This is God's call for us. It doesn't end with us. It's not even about us. It's about Jesus being known to every generation until he returns. And we have a job to do. We have to be heroic about that job. We have to stand firm against the pressure of greed and selfishness and lust and immorality and hate and godlessness that is all around us. We have to stand firm and be heroes so that we can be light in the darkness. Yeah, there's darkness. But we are called to be light. You see, Jesus... Called us to that role. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world, but he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you have the light of life? Do you follow Jesus? It's an easy equation. If you follow Jesus, you have the light of life, right? It's in you. For you were formerly of the darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Jesus said so walk as children of the light for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth scripture tells us you are the salt of the earth but if the salt has become tasteless how can it ever be salty again it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill which cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who come into that house. Be a light. Be a hero. and Be a light in someone's life today. And tomorrow, and the next day, and the next, and next, and next, and next, until you don't have any days left. Be a hero. Determine that you will not allow yourself to be hidden in the darkness. I know it's hard, and it takes courage, and it takes faith. We have to look for opportunities, not once, but every day, to be living sacrifices. That's what it takes to be a true hero. To offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. I don't think anyone's going to try to kill you for your convictions. Socially, they might. They might unfriend you on Facebook. They might block you. But they're not going to kill you. We don't have that kind of society yet, right? So be a light. So that someone who's searching for that light can find the light. Because if you let your light be hidden under a bed or under a bushel, they will not be able to find it when they're searching. I mean, we're challenged. We're expected by the society that we live in to abandon our love for God, to live for ourselves, to conform to all their foolishness, to do what they do and act like they act. That's the pressure that's on us. But stand up for heaven's sake. Literally, for heaven's sake. Stand up against that. Be a light in that darkness. Say no for a change. Don't always cooperate. It's okay to resist in the name of Jesus. To stand firm in your beliefs. See, God challenges and expects us to be willing to give up our lives as living sacrifices to him. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we are to give ourselves each day as an act of worship, give our whole selves to God. Paul goes on to say that this is a reasonable expectation that God has of us, considering all that God has done for us already. See, in light of what God has done, is it really a big deal if you get unfriended? In light of what Jesus did to bring you to Himself, to rescue you, to give you life forever, is it really a big deal if you don't get invited to that party? Good. One of you think so. I need 7,000 of you to think so. <laughs> So in summary, which means we're almost to the end. God calls us to be servant heroes, not in extraordinary circumstances, but in our everyday lives. We got to think how he thinks. We have to understand the calling that he has on us. Being a hero takes courage. It takes the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It takes a deep trust in God and an unselfish, sacrificial spirit. Being willing to do things for others. You can't do good deeds on the earth if you're not willing to do them for others. You don't just do good deeds for yourself. I bought myself a new car. I did a good deed today. I bought myself a new outfit. That was my good deed for the day. No, good deeds are for other people. Don't listen to the world. They will tell you the other way around. They will tell you, oh, really, it's all about you. You've got to take care of yourself first. You've got to make sure you're good. You've got everything you want. Then if you've got anything left over, you might put it in the offering plate. And the church might send it to Africa or something like that. Come on. You're bigger than that. You're more mature than that. You know what God is calling you to do, just as I do. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy to sacrifice yourself, the things that you might want, the schedule you might have, the energy you might have left at the end of the day, to make a sacrifice is exactly what it says, a sacrifice. It's not always a joy. It's a giving away of something that is of value to you. If it's not of value to you, keep it. I don't want it. God doesn't want it. But if it is of value to you, give it to God so that glory can come to God, that he can receive glory and honor and praise, which he'll receive anyway. It's hard to hear the messages of the world all the time. This is why we have to pull away from the world, spend time with God, meditate on his word so we can be who he calls us to be. Galatians 6 9 says, Let us not grow weary while we're doing good. For in the due season or in the proper time, you shall reap a harvest. In other words, you might feel tired, but at some point, all that planting of those good seeds, all that sharing of that light and of that love will eventually produce a harvest. God's word will not return void, another scripture says. So as we live out his word, as we're called to serve and to be a light in this world, we do something that that this author, Stephen, I can't even say his last name, Stephen S., he wrote this book called The Conspiracy of Kindness. It's years ago, probably in the 80s he wrote the book. Conspiracy of Kindness. And he describes this as servant evangelism. I love it. Because often, again, we think of evangelists like Billy Graham, and you just say, I'm no Billy Graham. Okay? So we need to think, Tabitha. Oh, I could be Tabitha. I could do kind things for people who are in need. Give me a break. How hard is that? Right? You'll be surprised how hard it is sometimes. But servant evangelism is showing God's love by offering simple Practical acts of humble service to another person. And here's the key. With no strings attached. See, we live in a culture that's always strings attached, right? As they say, nothing is really free. If it says free, it's not really free. You know, they're going to take you to the timeshare presentation and keep you captive for nine days and feed you a little buffet or something, and then they think they got you. Your checkbook and your credit cards and everything. No, no, no. No strings attached. We need to be the no strings attached people, right? We show kindness because it gives glory to God, not because it's going to get us anything. We're not making notches in our belt every time. Oh, I did a good thing, and so she needs, she owes me, she owes me two good things because mine was really good. No. That's not the way we're designed in Christ. Amen? Amen. So we want to be servant evangelists. The conspiracy of kindness says that this kind of evangelism works because people don't necessarily remember what you tell them about God's love, but they never forget when they've experienced God's love. Think about that. How many sermons have you heard me go blah 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 blah? But if you didn't experience God in that or in your life, it's easy to forget. But if you experience God, his love towards you, it should overwhelm you. It should go deep into your soul and change you. Amen. Amen. So really in conclusion, performing these simple acts of kindness like Tabitha or standing maybe silently but firmly for your faith, you can be a hero every day. This is a room full of potential heroes every day. Let's grab that and let it go from up here to down in here and inspire us throughout the rest of this day and every day that we wake up after this. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. God, you know why you gave us Tabitha. We know why you've given us your word to record for us the unnamed heroes, the people that maybe we don't think of, first of all, when we think of Bible heroes. We know that Jesus has called us to serve and to love and to sacrifice. But, oh God, it's hard sometimes on our flesh. It's hard sometimes to do it. We have an agenda. We have things we want to get done. We sometimes walk right past so many opportunities. Forgive us. Forgive us. And open our eyes and open our hearts to love the way Jesus loved, to love the way Tabitha loved, to stand firm for who we are in Christ. Whether anyone knows our name or not, we know that you know. You know our hearts. You have given us your spirit to empower us to give glory to Jesus on this earth. And you tell us in your word that we do that, yes, in miraculous ways, but also in very ordinary ways. And you don't care which is which. As long as the glory goes to your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again, that we might have life in him. So, God, fill me and fill your people here today. With renewed sense of who we are in Christ, that we may live as light, even in the midst of darkness. And that our light comes through our actions as well as our words us, Holy Spirit. Fill us and renew us in your mission, in your purpose, we pray. Amen. Amen.